Now in a much more painful uh, song, I'm going to sing to my children. <laughs> Please prepare your ears. <laughs> um, there are there are weeks as a pastor where um, the sermon is heavy on my heart. Uh, it's rare. Most weeks I'm very excited to get up here and to preach to you God's word, God's love, God's power, God's awesomeness, and what he does for us each and every day of our lives. Uh, truly, when you think of who we are as a people, that in all of our sin and all of our brokenness, God has lifted us up, has cleansed us, has called us his children, and allows us to be part of his family, and day in and day out, we get to share the gospel with other people. What a gift. And so when your job is primarily to tell people about that, most of the time it's really fun. But there's another responsibility I have as a pastor, and that responsibility is not to just tell you what you want to hear, not just to tell you things that inspire you or make you happy or make you feel good about yourself, but to bring to you God's word and God's wisdom on all subjects and on all topics. I'll tell you, this week preparing was hard. It was hard because, to be honest, I was convicted as I was studying that, man, I have been far too indifferent to some of these things in my own life. And so as we get into this topic today, it's in this series called God and Politics, but the reality of abortion is it's not really a political issue. We've politicized it, we make it a political issue, but it's not a political issue. This is about life, this is about love, this is about sacrifice. And so I want to open today is I want to first start with us just praying. And the reason I want us to pray is I want us to pray that we have the right mind, the right heart, the right ears when we hear this. Because the reality of this is twofold. One, I know some of you in this room probably will not agree with the things I have to say. Second, I know statistically it is very likely that in this room are people who have had abortions. So as you listen to what God's word has to say about this, I need you to understand there is God's word and there is God's grace. We can stand by what God says is right and moral while also loving with open arms those that sin. And the reason that's so important is that's all of us. If this is just a room for people who think they're good enough for God, we have a problem. Each and every one of us on our journey through the Word should be convicted. Each and every one of us on our journey through the Word should read things that go, Man, that's me. How sinful, how broken, how weak I am. So it's important as we listen to this Word that we have the right heart. Let me open us in prayer. Dear Holy Father, as we come before you, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Your Lord, your God. We are your children and your servants. Father, that means we come to you, Lord, and we submit to your will and to your word and to your truth. Father, I pray as we go through your word on this topic that our hearts will be open, that we will hear your voice, Father, that we will hear your truth, and that we will be open to it. Father, I pray that we receive this with grace and with love, and I pray, Father, that we are obedient to you. We love you, Lord, and in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So, recapping last week, if you missed. Last week, we kind of set the stage for this series on God and politics, and we said four key things. One, God is Lord of everything. 
There are some people, especially in our society, that love to separate politics, finances, different areas of their life and go, I am detaching God's wisdom from this. Nowhere in God's word is that permission given to us. God is God of everything. He has wisdom and instruction and leadership, lordship, over every single aspect of your life. So if there is any portion of your life where you are removing God's wisdom, be careful. Because in doing that, what you're saying is, God, in this position, on this topic, I rule, not you. Second thing we said is, you are a Christian first and foremost. Because last week, 80% of Americans still say they're Christians. But you don't see it in our society. Why? Because Christian no longer is first on their identity. It's race, it's economics, it's gender, it's political party. Then it's I'm a Christian. Being a Christian is more important than being black or white. It's more important than being gay or straight. It's more important than being Republican or Democrat. We are part of God's kingdom, and that matters first. Amen. Third thing, God is almighty no matter what. The biggest thing I hate in the political season is everybody acts like whoever wins determines the fate of the world. No. On the day after elections, whoever wins, God will not be any stronger or any weaker than he was the day before. God is not limited by man. God can, has, and will use both believers and non-believers to accomplish His will and His work. Your hope should never be in the work of man. Your hope should be in God and God alone. Always, always, as you speak to people, show that hope and that confidence in your life that says, no matter what happens... I have joy and happiness because I know my God has this. No matter what. Too many of us, when we talk about these things, we forget that hope. And we act like everything hangs on these decisions. It doesn't. Lastly, God's Word does instruct us that though all those three things I said are true, He reminds us that the government authorities are set up because He wills it to be. And that we as Christians are to respect and to submit to the government. As long as they don't ask us to betray our God. So we do have a command from our Lord to respect the authorities that are put over us. So that was setting the table for this entire topic of politics as we go through it. Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So again, of course, today's topic is abortion. I'm going to do something that's uh, kind of what we call a sandwich. In a sandwich, what we do is we have one piece of information that's one tone. We go to a different tone, and then we go back to the original tone. So we're going to start today's message with this passage here that talks about something that we must hold true to ourselves as we listen to everything that's going to be ugly and hard to hear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Does the kingdom of God belong to sinners? No, it does not. The kingdom of God belongs to the righteous. But look at what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Why is this important? It's important to remember that while we stand by the truth of God, we acknowledge we all fall short. Every single one of us. There is no sin that God's grace and God's love cannot wash over and forgive. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's on your record, the blood of Christ can wash it clean. Amen. And that is a truth that we need to hold in our hearts. Because sometimes we get so passionate at calling out sin that we forget to offer love and grace to the sinner. We must be balanced. Now let's talk about this. When does life begin? The big question on this topic is when does life begin? Is God's word silent on that topic? Absolutely not. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 14. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Throughout the pages of Scripture, God declares to us that where does life begin? In the womb. Life begins in the womb, and it doesn't happen by chance, or by accident, or by chaos. It is a work of art. It is God the Father knitting together in the womb your personality, your spirit, your soul. I love that he uses this imagery of knitting. If you ever watch somebody knit something, it's not a process where just tons of things happen very quickly. It's each individual thread carefully, with precision, woven. It is a process that is done with intention, intelligence, and purpose. That's how God describes the formation of you and I in our mother's womb. Now what scares me to death is, is that God creates this unbelievable masterpiece. And in our country we go, does it matter? We will not acknowledge that. Now some will go, well, how do we know when does life start? I mean, is it a conception? Is it at 8 weeks? Is it 12 weeks? 13 weeks? 21 weeks? I think there's verses that give us direction, but here's all I know. I'm not chancing that. What I do know from God's Word is life begins where? In the womb. Am I going to play a game of chance on when I think life begins in that womb? No way. No way at all. 
Throughout Scripture, this is shown to us. Look at Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. I know that's a weird when you're going, what does wickedness have to do with abortion? What it has to do with it is God saying, your desire to sin, do you know where it comes into you? In the womb. Your personality, your soul, your predisposition to act in certain ways, where does God place it on you? In the womb. In the womb, that soul is formed. Psalm 51.5 Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. When does God say this nature shows up? At conception. At the very conception, life begins. What's amazing to me is I would have thought 10 years ago if we knew now what we know, we would have overturned Roe versus Wade. In 1973, when the Supreme Court said that it was legal for abortions to happen in our country, we didn't have 3D sonograms. We couldn't take pictures of babies in the womb and watch live videos. This week, did anybody see the Yahoo story? There was a 14-week-old baby, and the parents were at the sonogram session, and the baby was clapping as they were talking. So the mother started to sing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And the 14-week baby is clapping its hands when the mother sings. As soon as they stop singing, stop clapping. But we can see that now. We know that these babies at eight weeks old feel pain. They recoil from hurt. Yet still, we do what we do. God clearly states to us, life begins in the womb. It's not a question in God's eyes. So the second question becomes then, is human life sacred? Does human life matter? Now I know that seems like a no-brainer, but let's be honest. If we know life starts in the womb, and you see how we treat life, it makes you wonder, do we really know the answer to this question of does human life matter? In Genesis 1.26, God says this about the creation of man, and it's an important thing to call out. He says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God goes through this process of creation. And then when He comes to make man, He changes it up. Everywhere else, when God creates, He simply speaks into existence. But with man, what does He do? He shapes him in His image. He breathes into him His breath of life. Man, above all creations, stands differently. It's why we have society. It's why wherever you look at history, wherever you look at where people have gone, we worship and we set up rules. Have you ever watched the uh, National Geographic Channel? Do you ever see the lion have remorse after killing the gazelle? Do you 
ever see it sitting there like, I shouldn't have done that. I knew I shouldn't have done that, but I just can't resist this urge. I'm going to start again. I'm going to be good this time. No. In the animal kingdom, might makes right. If a young animal kills and takes what belongs to an old one, no one in the pack goes, you shouldn't do that. That's rude, man. No, the rest of the pack goes, makes sense. You're stronger. You're more powerful. Take what you want. Yet somehow, in society, we have always seen those things happen and go, that's wrong. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. You are not just like every other animal. But what's crazy is, our society doesn't always reflect this. Do you know in 50 states, every single state, you can do jail time for killing a puppy. Yet we still do abortion by the millions. Now don't get me wrong, I love animals and we have a responsibility to care for them and take care of them because God gave them to us as gifts. But what kind of messed up world is it when we elevate the rights of animals over those of babies? How does that work? How do we justify that? God tells us these lives that you have are sacred. Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. What are they? They are the most precious things we are given. Did you ever have that moment, parents? That night at the hospital, the first time you had your kid, and you're looking at them like, am I really allowed to have this? Is someone really going to trust me with this? Are you serious? For me, it really wasn't in the hospital. It was when we put him in the car seat. It was like, so you're just going to go back into the hospital, and we're just, we're just going to go home. Is this a good idea? Do I know what I'm doing here? Like, I remember when I had the baby in the car the first time, I went, we spent all that time reading books about what was happening in the womb. I should have been reading about what to do once they get here. <laughs> I knew about what size he was. Oh, he's the size of an apple today. Who cares? What are you going to do with him when he shows up? <laughs> They're a gift. The most precious gift we get. And guess what? They're not yours. They're his. I never forget that. Every night when I pray with my boys, I remind myself, I'm not mine. Not mine. I do not get to do whatever I want with them because they don't belong to me. God shaped them. God made them. When I show up at those gates, I will be held accountable for what I did with His children. Not mine. we got to remember that. Exodus 20.13, very clear. You shall not murder. You know what's funny? Flip throughout the pages. You're not going to find a lot of justifications to go against this. It doesn't say you shall not murder unless you really need to. Unless it's going to be really a big inconvenience for you to let that person continue to live. It just says no, don't kill. You didn't give that life, you shouldn't take it. But the reality of this conversation is we no longer argue logically on so many things anymore. Have you noticed in these political conversations all around you, 
Nobody's listening. Have you noticed that? You've got one person saying all the things they know. You've got another person saying all the things they know. And nobody listening to what the other person's saying. We don't listen anymore because we don't care. We want to do what we want to do. I want to read this to you. This is from a woman who is uh, known as kind of a you know, trailblazer for women's rights, pro-abortion, for why we need to keep this Roe vs. Wade in America. And this is what she said. She said, yet yeah, I know that throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. Here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always. This woman doesn't even argue that it's life. She agrees that it's life. That life just simply doesn't have the same rights as hers. Now, let me put a huge caveat here. We should not be shocked as Christians when we walk outside those doors that people think, act in this way. Why? They live in a society embraced in sin. All they know is sin. Watch our television shows. Watch what we watch for entertainment. Look at the ads we do. Just immerse yourself in the culture of the world and tell me, if you were a person who didn't know God, would you ever accidentally stumble upon our beliefs, our morals, our views of right and wrong? No. Never. These views that we hold are no longer popular. These views that we hold no longer are seen as enlightened. And culture, sure as heck, is not going to lead you this way. So the one thing I get angry at with some Christians on this is they know that abortion is sin, but when they go out into the world, they speak with such hate and anger and violence about it. The reality is, guys, the culture we live in is a cesspool in many ways. We should not be surprised that those embedded in it sometimes have different views on these things. I actually expect that when we go out into that world, most people will not understand what we are talking about. Why? Because even you and I, who know the truth, still mess up all the time. You ever realize that? You and I that know the truth still mess up all the time on things that we know are right and wrong. So why would I be surprised that outside those walls, people who don't know right and wrong are making bad choices? Statistically, one in four women in America have had an abortion. Think about that. 25% have had an abortion. 
Now that means I have to stand strong that this is sin, but I also have to acknowledge that just because you may have made this decision in the past does not mean that God can't love you, God can't forgive you, God can't wash you clean, and that you don't belong as part of our family. You absolutely do. You know why? Because I stand right there with you, a sinner condemned of death. I've done just as worse. But we can't stop acting like this isn't sin. See, the scary thing about culture in America right now is we're starting to take things that God's Word is very clear on and going, no, not wrong. Not wrong. This is not sin. That's not sin. In fact, you guys who think it is, you're the ones that got a problem. God warns us when that happens, be careful. When you live in a place where right is called wrong and wrong is called right, beware. And we do that all the time now. All the time. This is a baby at eight weeks. At eight weeks, 90% of their organs are formed. They laugh, they smile, they dream. They recoil from pain. They have their own DNA. They have their own fingerprints. This line that, well, it's my body, it's not really your body. It's a, it's a different body. It's just in your body. Eight weeks. Over 90% of abortions happen about 12 weeks, 13 weeks. At 21 weeks, imagine this now, 21 weeks, most babies can survive now. 21 weeks. A friend at work, her little girl was born at 21 weeks. The pictures are unreal. The baby's like in the palm of her hand and you're like, there's no way that baby's going to survive. Cute little girl now, running around, living life. But we like to look at this and go, nope, not life. Not life. I need to remind you of a few things. If you can't see this picture, this is Saul of Tarsus. You know Saul of Tarsus is who? Paul. We need to remember as Christians, our whole history is built on the backs of sinners. Abortion is a despicable, unbelievable sin. But guess what? We've had despicable unbelievable sinners throughout our history. Paul used to track down, hunt down Christians, tie them up, beat them, and have them murdered. That's how he was known, and that's how God found him. And then God washed him clean. God brought him the truth. And that man became a warrior for the Lord. David, of all the people in the Bible, you will never hear God talk about someone the way he talks about David. God looks at David and goes, you have a heart like mine. Can you imagine that compliment? This is God. This is the guy that after we've betrayed him, we've backstabbed him, we've yelled at him, we've cursed him, goes, I will send my son to die for you. Because I love you that much. God looks at David and goes, heart like mine. What does David do? David sees a beautiful woman who's married, brings her into his house, has an affair, gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up, when it doesn't work, murders her husband. Heart like God? Are you serious? But yet still, we read his words. 
We know even though he sinned unbelievably, he was still a child of God. Still a child of God. Remember Moses? God's best friend? He's an Egyptian beating a slave, and what does he do? Murders him with his bare hands. Devastating sin is all throughout the Bible. The beauty of our God is, is that he finds devastating sin and wipes it away. He washes it clean. He gives grace and he gives forgiveness. From the darkest places on earth, God brings forth amazing light. So I tell you, I never worry about what happens in this country with laws. You look at China and you think it'd be devastating darkness. They completely go after Christians. They martyr them. They kill them. They hurt them. They punish them. But do you know where the church grows the best right now? In China. See, God's power is so great that even when the enemy thinks he's winning, God's victorious. And so when you and I talk about topics like this, and really the two ones that strike out so much in our society is abortion and homosexuality, we have to stand firmly planted in the river of truth, but have a compassionate heart that opens up to everyone. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All. I've known women who've had abortions and they are consumed with guilt. Many of them, after they've come to Christ, still can't forgive themselves for what they've done in the past. God washes everything clean. God washes everything clean. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you and I don't accept that forgiveness, we diminish the blood that was spilt. When you want to hold on to your guilt, when you want to hold on to your shame, what you're doing is you're diminishing what He did on that cross. He died there. He was ridiculed there. He was in pain there. Not so you and I could walk around with guilt but so that we could give that to Him. Rise up and walk in joy. Amen. Can't carry your past with you. So a few things. What do we do with this? First is you shine a light on it. You shine a light on it. Grab your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 5. actually going to start in verse 6. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. 
I pray. I pray that one day my boys or my boys' children will look at me and go, how did you guys ever think that was okay? Just like our generation looks back and goes, how did you guys think it was okay to have Jim Crow laws? How did, how did this country think it meant, made sense to say black people couldn't come into your restaurant? That they had to drink from another water fountain? That they couldn't share your things because they were less than human? We thought that? Really? I hope in 20 years my kids are asking me, like, man, you guys thought that was okay. How? I pray that happens. But we have a duty as Christians to call darkness, darkness. And we have a duty to be light in the midst of it. The second thing we need to do is we need to pray. We need to pray. I'm not going to read Daniel 9. I'm just going to tell you about it. In Daniel 9, Daniel has a crushing prayer. He goes to God. He falls on his knees. And he tells God of all his sin. But it's not just his sin, it's the sin of Israel. He goes, God, we have done terrible things. We have betrayed you, we have ignored you, we have hurt people, we have turned our backs on you. Forgive us. I'll be honest, as I was reading some of these stats, I question if America's good. I love the red, white, and blue. I love what this country has offered so many people to live in. I love how this country has allowed so much of Christian morality to flourish. I love that this country for so many years has often fought for those that don't have a voice. But I was looking at this, I don't understand why God hasn't wiped us off the face of the earth. Let me show you some of these. 9-11. 3,000 Americans died. Do you remember that day? Isn't it, isn't it unreal how when tragedy like that strikes your brain, freezes those moments in your head? Man, I remember that morning. 9-11, 3,000 people died. 10,000 Americans die every year due to drunk driving. 10,000. 10,000 die every year due to drunk driving. 1.6 million Americans have died in war since the revolution. 2 million Americans have been killed by gun violence since 1968. In the Holocaust, 6 million Jews were killed. These numbers kind of make you sick a little bit, don't they? 60 million American babies have been aborted since 1973. 60 million. The Holocaust, every gun victim, every drunk driving victim, everybody in 9-11, everybody who's died in war, and you're at one-sixth of the number of babies we've killed since 1973. Does this make you sick? And we say, 
it's okay. The reason I told you I felt convicted this week is, I looked at that and went, how am I not ticked about this every day? How am I not out there trying to make a difference to get this to be done? How do we stand here, let that happen and go, eh, out of our hands. 60 million. Do you understand that number? <coughs> Unreal. I think about that and I go, we sit here and go, God should bless us. It's funny, in history class, I remember when we learned about the Aztecs. And we learned that the Aztecs used to sacrifice babies to their sun god. And I remember just sitting there going, how barbaric. How unbelievably barbaric. I'm so glad we don't do that kind of stuff. Can't really say that. All of us need to fall on our knees and go, God, forgive us. All of us need to go, God, forgive us for taking your precious creations and treating them like they're just an inconvenience that we can wipe away. As Christians, we have to understand, while there may be darkness all around us that doesn't understand this, this is unacceptable for you and me. Why? God has called us to be a people of love. And what is love? Love is sacrifice. Love is me looking at you going, you're more important than me. Love is me realizing, I'm going to take on pain, I'm going to take on hurt for other people. Why? Because he did that for me. So we need to pray. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. God, I pray for that. I pray that we would have that. What scares me is I don't know if we will. Like I told you before, science is actually on our side on this one. And it still is not changing how we're acting. So you need to shine light on it. You need to pray. And it needs to inform, listen to me, inform how you vote. Now I know some of you are going to sit there and go, okay, so you're one of those one topic voters. You only care about one issue and that's it. Nope, not true. But here's what I do pay attention to. With biblical wisdom, I can argue different ways for economic policy. With biblical wisdom, I can argue different ways on national security. On biblical wisdom, as you'll see next week, I can argue different ways on immigration. I can't argue the other side of this. I can't argue it. I, there, there's, there's nowhere I can go in here to justify the other side. And so to me, what I can't find peace in is I don't know how I support that, how I align to that, show up at the gates and go, no, I, I didn't betray your word, God. Now listen, are there pro-life people who are morons? Yes. Are there pro-life people that we would never want to run our nation? Yes. But my goodness, you better pray long and hard about that topic. 
Because the moment you're okay with putting someone in who says, this is not a problem, in fact, I want this to happen more, better think about that. It has to be something that informs the way you vote. Lastly, get involved. Get involved. As Christians, we've become such good spectators. We are so good at sitting on the side and pointing out everything that's wrong and doing so little to make it right. One of the things I've hated about those who are pro-choice or pro-life is we direct so much venom at some of these women who are struggling so hard with life, with these decisions, and with an environment that tells them that this is a good choice. And instead of us meeting them with open arms and with love, a lot of times we're just yelling. Guys, yelling does not open up people's hearts. Love does. How we make a difference on this is not just speaking to it, not just voting for it, not just politically being active, not just socially being active, but you know what? When you know that person in your life who's struggling with this decision, you standing there going, I'm here. I love you and I'm here. You won't do this alone. You won't do this by yourself. There are people who will love you and care for you. To be honest, the American church sucks at helping each other. Do you know when you read the Bible what it says we should be doing? If there was an orphan in our church, our church should go, you are going to live alone. You're going to come live with one of us. Because you're our family. You know what the Bible says about how we're supposed to treat widows? It says if a widow can't care for herself, the church will pay her bills, will feed her, will shelter her, will protect her. Amen. This is a family. And just like I went sit to watch my mom be on the street, I sit to watch you be on the street. So how do we make a difference? In those people who are struggling, we go, I'm here. I get it. That's a scary thing to face by yourself. You don't have to face it by yourself. There's someone here who's going to love you. There's someone here who's going to care for you. There's someone here who's going to sacrifice to help you. More of us need to have our eyes open for those opportunities to actually make a difference in people's lives. Too many of us sit back go, man, that's messed up. All right, what's on? Let's check the next channel. You know, I'll put a Facebook status out about that. Did my part. No. Go do something. Make a difference. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. Care for the people that can't care for themselves. Be the voice of those that have no voice. And that goes for everyone. I told you before when we were talking about all this racial tension in America, you shouldn't just be mad if you're black and a black person dies. You shouldn't just be mad if you're white and a white person dies. You should be mad any single time injustice happens to anyone. All injustice should hit your soul. That's what God wants us to be. 
people that care. My favorite verse. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I love the power of light. I love how in the darkest place, the tiniest light gives hope, gives vision, gives comfort. You live in a dark world. Be the light. Be that light that speaks God's word. Be that light that shows love. Be that light that when everybody else is yelling, when everybody else is cursing, when everybody else has lost hope, you go, I have hope. Because I have a God who washes everything clean. I have a Savior that never, never finds something He can't beat. I have a God that doesn't know impossible. I have a God that is with me day in and day out. I have a God that just because He formed me in my mother's womb, He is passionately infatuated with me and you. He cares about every thought, every action, every day, every second, every breath. Be a people that live that way. As we go into prayer time, I'm going to ask today that you pray about this. I'm going to ask that you pray that God will forgive us for what we've done. I'm going to ask you to pray that our nation will wake up and call this what it is and change. So as me and Brother Joe come forward and James is in the back, if you need to come up and pray, do. But if you're sitting at your pews or standing at your pews, just pray for God's healing hand. Pray for us to repent.